Welcome to Not in a Huff with Jackson Huff, where we interview newsmakers, storytellers, and all-around interesting people. Sit back, relax, uh, unless you're driving, and enjoy the show. Here's Jackson. Hello, hello, hello. I am Jackson Huff. This is Not in a Huff. Thanks so much for joining me. As always, really appreciate it. Fun guest for you this week. I'm interviewing Magical Katrina, which is, of course, the stage name to an amazing magician, which you're going to hear in this interview. I have trouble saying magician and want to say musician, uh, but uh, she says she gets it all the time, so I don't feel too bad about it. But uh, yeah, Katrina is an amazing person. I first saw her on Pin and Teller Fool Us, which is a TV show on the CW here in the United States. People go on, they perform their magic and try to to fool Penn and Teller into not knowing exactly how they did the trick. Most of the time, Penn and Teller, they've been around for 40 plus years, kind of the, the, a staple in Las Vegas, huge magicians. Uh, so most of the time they don't fool, uh, you know, those, uh, those legends. Sometimes they do and they get a trophy for it. Uh, but uh, Katrina was on the show. Uh, she didn't fool them, but she did perform a really awesome trick. And I knew I wanted to get her on. Um, we talk about it a little bit in this interview, but uh, she has a cool style to her. She's she she does some pinup modeling. She's kind of got that you know that elegance to her. That's kind of the uh, I don't know whether it's fifties or maybe a little earlier. Uh, but she's got a a really neat style to her, um, and it comes honestly. She grew up watching Turner Classic movies. Her favorite movie star when she was growing up was was Judy Garland, which of course. Um, you know, she grew up in what the 80s or 90s, so Julie Garland wasn't necessarily the the big movie star of, of the day. You know, she was of course famous for Wizard of Oz, um, which funny funny story, and she's going to talk about it. How she talks about you know how she loves Wizard of Oz because the true movie she loves from Julie Garland is is uh, one most people haven't heard about. So easier just to say Wizard of Oz, but. We're going to talk about growing up. We're going to talk about how she got into magic. We're going to talk about going to clown school. That's something she did. What's that mean? You know, people talk about, you know, I'm going to, if you don't do better in school, I'm going to send you to, to clown school. And, uh, you know, that's not, that's not an easy place in real life. It's a joke, but clown school is, uh, is intense. So we're going to talk about what that looks like. We're going to talk about how it taught her how to be a, a great uh, magician. We're going to talk about... Uh, her transition to to corporate magic and to stage shows and to being on TV, all this other stuff, some of the amazing things she's been able to do because of magic. We're going to talk about COVID and how that uh, got her into the world of virtual magic and doing magic shows on Zoom. Interesting there for sure. Uh, A lot of really amazing things. Even if you're not really big into magic, I think you're going to enjoy just a life uh, well lived in entertainment. She's she's got a great uh, business mind to her when it comes to that kind of stuff. Even when it comes down to being on Pin and Taylor Foolish and who exactly she wanted to perform her trick with, all of it has to do with kind of business. I really really enjoyed that aspect of her. Um, she's uh, she's got a lot of great things coming up when it comes to her her Zoom magic. She has a magic kit, uh, especially catered towards uh young girls because there's not a lot of magic kits for them already not to say you know young boys can't use that same kit uh but uh i i you know i enjoyed speaking with her she's done some awesome stuff she's does uh some some charity work in the magic world uh this was a fun conversation i think you're really going to enjoy this so without further ado here is magical katrina 
I'm here today with Magical Katrina. Katrina, how are you? Great. Good, good. Thanks for joining me. Appreciate it very much. I kind of want to start at the beginning and kind of ask you a really basic question because, you know, I did a lot of research. You've done so many things between clown school, you've been a, a dancer, you kind of a comedian. Of course, you've got the magic part of things. What do you call yourself? Is it just an entertainer? Do you really kind of just call yourself a musician or I'm, I'm saying musician, magician? What do you call yourself? I consider myself a magician. I used to do more of those things like four or five years ago. Mm -hmm. And now I do them, but I incorporate them with magic. Um, so I definitely consider myself mainly a magician. That's kind of my job. That's what I do. I, I used to do stilt walking and face painting and balloon twisting and all that stuff at private corporate events and parties and things. But I actually just uh, just gave away my stilts oh. last week. I hung up my stilts. Um, yeah. and I still juggle for fun, but mostly job wise, I'm a magician. I like it. Well, now that that's settled, I want to kind of start in the beginning and your interest in, in getting in front of people, because that's a that's a big thing. Not not everyone's cut out for that. I'm sure there's plenty of people that are, you know, good at magic, but they just can't perform in front of people. So I want to talk about the beginning. What made you interested in, in entertainment to begin with? I think Judy Garland had something to do with. It. Yeah, you've really done your research, which is awesome. Um I first saw Meet Me in St. Louis when I was three, and no one ever knows what that musical is, so I always say Wizard of Oz. <laughs> mm -hmm. But I grew up watching Turner Classic movies, and I just loved, like, Ginger Rogers and Fred Astaire and, um, you know, all of that old Hollywood, like, 1930s through 50s musical uh, movie stuff and it really inspired me I wanted to do musicals forever I used to always go to the theater and like watching a chorus line would make me cry and I'd go oh, I feel so seen by this musical uh and so I always wanted to do um acting I did tons of shows when I was in high school I was working at the Northwest Children's Theater volunteering and I had an internship there and I would help teach kids magic. And this is like, or not magic. I'm so used to saying magic. I just mm -hmm. autopiloted that last sentence. It was theater, teaching kids theater. And uh, it was really, really fun. I loved it. And I love musicals. Then when I was 18, I became, a, well, I went to clown school. And then I became a princess at children's parties, which I thought was a great way to get into acting and musical theater more. And I would sing and face paint, balloon twist and do a magic show. And they taught me a little bit of magic, but not really how to perform it. Just kind of like, here's the secret, go. And uh, I just had to sink or swim. And then I like at first I dreaded the magic and I just like to do the face painting because you could just stone out, listen to Disney musicals, which I love musicals, and paint. And it's very zen, other than like holding the child down and being like, you're being so still. Thank you. It, other than that part, it's kind of like just getting paid to paint stuff and listen to music um, and wear a cute outfit. Um, but over time, I got less and less afraid of the magic and I dreaded it less and less. And I practiced and worked a lot harder. And it actually became my favorite part of the job until eventually I just sold all my princess costumes. I sold my face painting stuff, my balloon stuff. And now I just do magic full time. Yeah, I love that. And I know in another interview that I, I listened to you talk about how it was really intimidating to do this magic in front of the kids because, you know, the 
the kids are the harshest critics. And you talk to that person about how, you know, have you ever had to do magic in front of kids, all that kind of stuff. And they hadn't, but I actually have interviewed quite a few party princesses and then somebody who does like mermaid work too. And I, just from those interviews, I can understand that kids are brutal. They will cut, point out your flaws or what they think is incorrect quicker than anybody in the world. So. Oh yeah. And I, but one of the things that was fun was like BSing them. Cause they, mm. they go, Oh, your, your hair, like you're not Elsa. We see part of your hair. Mm. And, you know, I'd have to like, you know, make up an excuse like, Oh, I'm wearing a wig because uh, like, I don't even know. I'm, mm. I haven't had enough coffee yet to make up an excuse, but I would, <laughs> I would like totally like lie to them all the time in, in a good way, just to like, you know, when your kid's asking too many questions about Santa, you know, I'd be like, oh, yes, yeah, Spider-Man and I do play video games every weekend. Yeah. Like, that's so cool. You love Spider-Man, you know, just silly things. Right. Uh, it was it was fun. <laughs> All right. I, I like that. And I want to I want to kind of pause back on clown school, because I think that's such an interesting thing. I, I feel like just a lot of people. I don't know. They almost say that to people like you're not going to be able to go to college. You're just going to be able to go to clown school. They almost act like that's for slackers. And I have done research. And I know that is far from the truth. It is not an easy world. So talk about going to clown school and how uh, just just the process of that. So I was in a theater show and there was this girl that was so funny and she was not the main character. But no matter what she did, she would get laughs just with a face. Mm. And I and I, I was up uh, in the dressing room with her and I said, oh, my God, you're so funny. How are you so funny? Mm. And she said, I went to clown school. And then my jaw just dropped to the floor. I thought, oh my gosh, wait, that exists? Mm. Why not? Like you only live once. And I feel like that's a concentrated um, lesson in comedy, right? Like clown was the first, we didn't have stand up hundreds of years ago. That was like the fools in the kingdom were like the comedy. So I thought, wow, like if I really want to learn comedy, I feel like that's a good place to start. That makes a lot of sense. Um, and so I researched some schools and I found Circus Center uh, by the, I guess the Pickle Family Circus started them and uh, Clown Conservatory. And I did it and it was really fun. It was a, a lot of work. It was like 40 hours a week. So I couldn't really have another job except for my parties on the weekends. Um, but I got an apartment, so I was walking distance, which was very nice in San Francisco. Um, and one of the things I remember is after lunch, we would always do the acrobatic portion of the day. So we do like handstands, pratfalls, like things like that. And so I'd always pretty much every single day take aspirin during lunch so that it would like kick in and I wouldn't have a headache when we'd have to do handstands for mm. the second half of the day. Um, so I remember that, but we did all sorts of things. We did fake falls. We did, um, talking about status and power. Like, uh, they say straight man versus the, you know, funny man. Um, and by straight, you know, I don't mean sexual orientation. I mean, the guy who's serious and the guy who's like more silly. Um, so yeah, we talked about a lot of different things and did mime too. And fixed point work. I don't know if you know what fixed point work is. No, I don't. Um, it's when you like, it's uh, it's the thing mimes do where they somehow like pick a point and act like it has friction there or is there's mm. a solid thing you can't see and mm. they like move around it. So it's like a fixed point. Um, and oh my gosh, that was actually the hardest thing of clown school was all the miming. I still, I, I never really got a hang of it. 
one thing, one yeah. thing that the clown school taught me that I will always remember that I carry everywhere is the ability to break the fourth wall and feel comfortable on stage. I'd always done musical theater like for 10 years before then, because I was doing plays at like five. Um, but well, so that was like 13 years before clown school. But anyway, uh, it taught me to feel comfortable on stage in just like silence, in looking out at the people, to not feel like I have to fill it with something, to just mm. be comfortable connecting with the audience and making eye contact. And that's something I fall back on all the time with magic is just looking out at everyone, you know? No, I love that. And that's exactly the question I was going to, I was about to ask you, what, what do you think you've gained from it in the world that you're, you're in now? And I think it's important in, in anything when it comes to entertainment is exactly what you said, just being comfortable with silence and, and being confident in yourself and not needing to fill all that time. You know, I've talked to so many people in entertainment one that comes to mind is Bob Eubanks from the newlywed game. And he talked about how it got so much better. He was so much better on the show. Once he didn't feel like he had to just fill everything with jokes and just made facial expressions. That's what, you know, reacting to other people is, was way funnier than him trying to, you know, make jokes or laugh at them. So I, I think that's, that's huge just to be able to uh, be comfortable in your own skin and be comfortable with a little bit of silence. So the next question I'd have for you, and because I kind of forgot in all those titles I said in the beginning, a few other ones are that you, you do pinup modeling, you do burlesque. So that just to kind of give people an idea there, because I rarely talk about people's style when I'm on the podcast, it doesn't really matter, but I feel like that's almost part of your act now, kind of the, the old style. I think that's what you called it. I, I don't know what you know, what decade that, that maybe you're, you're pinning that too, but is that something that you've just naturally always been drawn to kind of a, that, that world, the, the old style look, or is it something that you incorporated into your act intentionally? So again, at three, I grew up, you know, watching Turner classic movies. Yeah. So yeah. that definitely inspired me and things like and well, My Fair Lady technically takes place in the Victorian era, but, you know, Audrey Hepburn and um, I'm so blanking on things, but like I grew up with old Hollywood and mm -hmm. old Hollywood musicals. And so that's always been something I've loved and been a big part of my life. Um, the the burlesque and the pinup modeling, I mostly have saved to be on the Patreon now and COVID hit me mm -hmm. in 2020. Um, I was just uh, doing like pinup photo shoots for fun because I loved being glamorous and like dressing up and it was cute to like wear the outfits. Um, and I did a little bit of burlesque, but burlesque is really a passion project. They, they're they like, hey, do you want to come here and not be completely naked, but strip a little bit naked, but it's body positive. We'll give you 20 bucks. Uh, and so it was really just like a, very much a labor of passion because it was fun and I liked being glamorous and I liked being body positive. I grew up in the Rocky Horror Picture Show uh, in uh, high school. I don't know if you've seen Perks of Being a Wallflower, but that's a great example of my high school experience. I was in the shadow cast for three years. So by day, I'd go to the Northwest Children's Theater, as I was saying, um, and I would like help with the kids and all that and do my internship there. I was also part of like the Broadway Rose Theater Company, and I would go to Portland Center Stage Youth Council. And then at night, I would go to Rocky Horror Picture Show. So I've always been like a very type A person that likes to be busy and have a lot of plates spinning. And mm -hmm. I've always, even when I was in high school, in a way like flirted with that 
feminine idea in our society of like the Madonna and the whore. Like I'm like, by day, I'm going to go help kids by night. I'm going to go be in the Rocky horror picture show and like Mm. run around singing about like transvestites from Transylvania and like Mm. wearing a corset. So, um, and that was at 15, (laughs) that was 15, 16 year old me. So as an adult, I've always like loved, um, feeling like sexually empowered, but in, in a fun, showy, glamorous way, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what I loved about burlesque. Um, and then uh, March 2020 hit and I was like, oh man, I'm not getting unemployment. And I applied so many times and I needed to pay rent. And so um, like all the people that saw me on Fool Us and um, just weird dudes on the internet that like my photos, love you guys, love you weird dudes. But like, uh, you know, I didn't know what to do with you. I would just ignore you in my DMs. Not you. I just mean like the overall right. dudes. <laughs> Um, and then I was like, oh, wait, I can put these guys through a money funnel and half of them are going to be like, I just want your attention for free. I don't want to pay you to see your photos or videos. Um, but then the other half might be like, oh, my God, yeah, I would love to talk to you and support your art and like get to know you better and also see more of what you do. And so I started the Patreon and it's not um, nude. It's just like basically a lot of the stuff I was doing for free before it's now behind a paywall. Sorry, people. But uh, as I get more and more successful with magic, it's just magic pays like a million times better. And in order to keep doing that fun, sexy, glamorous stuff, I need to have some excuse for it. Mm-hmm. And uh, and now it, it still is kind of a passion project because I really have like under 100 Patreons. I don't even have that many of them. But it's like, I don't know. It, it It's fine. It's I do it because I like it. And it it's nice to have that steady stream of income too, I guess. I don't know if that answered your question, but I've always loved, loved sexy glamour things. And uh, even since I was a kid and I just have found that other branch to go off of, but I will say like magic is 90% of my income. Um, I'm actually, I'm trying to cut down on distractions and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm almost considering maybe like uh, at least definitely lessening my presence on the Patreon. Cause it's a lot of work. to do all the burlesque and pin up and all that. I hear you. So I want to talk now about what's 90% of, of your income and that's, that's magic. So what, I guess I don't even know how to begin with it. What you, you're obviously, you went from doing it in princess parties and not liking it to that then being your favorite part. How did you transition from that being your favorite part of a, another different job to Hey, this is what I'm going to this is what I'm going to focus on. This is going to what going to be what consumes me and more importantly this is what's going to start paying my bills. What was that like? I, I feel like that's a a scary thing to to maybe branch out into. So, for a lot of magicians it is because they're going from normal jobs to being a full-time magician. So to them it's a leap. I never really knew anything else. Mm. I I worked at GameStop and like a comic book store when I was 17. Um, eight, 17, 18, right? And uh, then I just started being a princess. And I also was doing corporate events too. And I was in this 1920s like female dance troupe called the Deco Bells in San Francisco. And this was literally like the year Gatsby came out was around when I was like 18, 19. And so every single tech party corporate event was Gatsby themed, like every single one for like three years. And so we were like super busy and I'd be at events being like a cigarette girl, you know, and you don't really have to have that many skills. You just have to be cute and able to be in a character. And that paid like a hundred bucks an hour. So I get a couple of those, you know, a week 
or a month with this group. And I'd also, you know, be in the chorus girl dance troupe and um, doing corporate events. And then I also would like face paint and balloon twist at corporate events. And I would also do kids parties. So I've always done private event work. And then I had relationships with these agents, not just through the dance company, but I reached out to them aside from, uh, the dance troupe and was like, Hey, if you just want to have me like face paint balloon twist. So I had like, um, 15 different agents I was working with and event planners in the Bay and even Google alone can have like 50 holiday parties because they have so many, you know, there's like Google maps, there's Google X. I don't even know what they do. Uh, but there's so many different groups, but I did a lot of those parties. So basically the transition was, Hey, event planners that already hire me a lot to face paint, balloon twist, still walk. Now I offer magic. And so unlike other magicians that had to like get super good at sleight of hand first, um, I just was like, now I offer this. And they're like, hmm, I've worked with Katrina for a few years. She usually shows up and does what she says she's going to do on time. Cool. And, and so I just started doing it. And maybe like in the beginning, I only knew like three or four tricks to do walk around magic, but you know, that's something. And I just would do it confidently. And there's not a lot of women, which is, I mean, literally I'm just lucky. Cause if I was a guy and I was that mediocre, I don't know if I would have had the opportunities I had um, mm. as a token in San Francisco, but I also had those connections. I don't, I'm not going to say it's about my gender. I had those connections and I worked hard to get those in other fields so that the transition was really easy. Mm. Um, and then just over time, I got more and more corporate work and did more and more kids parties. I sold the princess costumes and uh, then got on TV a couple times doing Penn and Teller and then Masters of Illusion. Um, and yeah, have a look back. I've loved it. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. You kind of told us the process of, of how you slowly incorporated magic into, you know, the, the work that you're already doing and the connections that you already made, but I don't want to discount the work that you did in, in order to get better at it. So talk a little bit about, about that, like the process of actually honing your craft. What is, what does that look like? Well, when I find something that makes me excited, I'll usually spend anywhere from two to four hours working on it a day. Sometimes I don't get to it because I know, look, I look at it like right now I'm learning cups and balls and I'll see it on my table and I'm like, Oh, cause I, I get in the zone. So I, try to plan for when I don't have anything else going on to do it. Because if, if I'm like learning a trick to me, it's like dancing. Like, um, I will just, when I start to get that little serotonin hit, when I, something clicks, I keep going like, like a mouse in a maze. I'm like, Ooh, I want to get more serotonin. Let me try that move again and try and get it better. And I just get like super into it. It makes me very happy just doing the same thing over and over again and picking it up and looking in the mirror and seeing it getting better and better and better. So that's often how I practice slides. Um, a lot of magic is buying stuff and learning the instructions. And then like some of it isn't very sleight of hand based. Some of it is just buying a cute little thing some, somebody made, but then you have to come up with a script. So depending on the act, if it's like stage, I'll write out a script and I'll practice it a lot at home. And then I'll do it for the first time in front of people um, after it's had a lot of runs. If it's close up and walk around magic, I'll learn it. I'll, you know, do it without messing it up. 
and be able to do it in front of people. But I won't maybe have like a full script flushed out. I'll use the script that it comes with. And then I'll, uh, you know, come up with a premise and I'll try it. And the great thing about walk around is you can try something and say you bring this one trick to do in between two tricks that are awesome that kill and are already known. Um, I'll go to group to group and maybe I make a joke in one group. I'm like, oh, that didn't land. Maybe I'll try this other thing. And um, you can mix it up. And by the end of like the hour of doing walk around, you've like, um, what's the word? You've chiseled this hunk of rock into a beautiful stone. Like it, it's it's well done. So I love doing strolling magic and walk around. I also have a big improv background. I've been doing improv forever. I was on the improv team in high school. I've taken all the improv in the Bay Area and Groundlings and Second City here in LA. And I just love mixing up scripts too. And like going up to a group and being like, okay, these are millennials. Okay. These are like older businessmen. What can I like, what is their frame? How do they experience the world? What's a joke that will land? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, what's, and then also switching between kids, parties, corporate, and then like just a birthday party at a bar, like what's appropriate. So um, I love like constantly doing that but anyway that's how I work on magic it really just kind of depends on the trick sometimes I buy something sometimes it's um slight based uh sometimes I just have an idea too like right now I'm working on a magic trick about people that look like their dogs Mm -hmm. and I just love dogs and I love the idea that people sometimes look like their dogs because it's totally true it's not all the time But when you see like this cute little old lady with a cute little poodle and they both have wiry gray hair and they're both like walking the same way, you're like, oh, my God, that's so silly. Um, Mm -hmm. And so now I'm coming up with like a matching trick with like owners and dogs and um, ways that people can get the cards or the photos and they happen to match every time. And so that's kind of been delighting me. And there's a lot of different matching card tricks. Right. But I came up with the story and the premise first just Mm -hmm. because I love dogs. And so, uh, you know, it's like chicken and the egg, just different things inspire me. No, I think that's, that's awesome. And I like that your, your answer to that has so much more to do than just the technical side, the magic side. And I, I wonder how much of being a good uh, magician is nothing to do with the actual magic trick. It is the writing the scripts. It's being able to, you know, change the script based on who you're, who you're performing for. I feel like, I, and I could be completely wrong, but I feel like it's most of it really has not as much to do with the magic and more to do with all those other aspects that you just talked about. Yeah. I want to, I want to now talk about uh Penn and Teller fool us. That's where I first saw you. And I mean, what was the process of, of getting on that show? Was it something that they reach out to, to people in the industry about? Was it something you auditioned for? Did you send in tapes? What, what's that look like? So whenever I go to a magic convention that has a competition, I try to do it. Even if I'm like, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do. Like, I'll just sign up for it two or three months in advance. And then the anxiety and the fear will push me to make something brand new. So I like to do it because it pushes me to try something new. Performing in front of my peers is terrifying. TV's easy, but performing in front of other magicians is mm-hmm. hard. So many of these guys have been doing it since they were three. And here I am coming in, having just been doing magic for like 10 years since I was like 18 and uh well I'm 27 so I just kind of round up because my birthday's next month oh, um yeah. but uh 
like I come in and I just feel like I don't know as many slides as them. So it's, it's scary doing magic for other magicians, but uh, competitions push me to be better and face my fear. So there was a competition at SAM, which is the society of American magicians and their convention in Vegas. And I thought it was a close up magic competition. So I signed up for it. And then like, Three days before I, ca I came back into the country, I was like on a trip uh, with Magicians Without Borders in Africa. And I came back and I emailed the guy and I was like, hey, is the close-up competition still happening? Like, I just want to check in because it's in like two days uh, and I want to prepare. And he was like, yeah, we're going to actually have it be an audition for Fool Us. Hmm. And, I, and this is, they don't normally do this. Um, at all. They don't have in-person things. And I was like, what? Uh, okay, well, I'm going to drop out because I don't have anything fooling. Like, I don't. I have not invented any magic mm -hmm. at all. I just take cute scripts and put them on stuff that already exists. And he's like, well, you're really good. Like, you should go out for it. I think they'd like you. So actually, the guy running it convinced me to do it. Very nice. Mm -hmm. And uh, then my car broke down mm -hmm. on my way to Vegas. So then I had to, like, leave it and then get a Greyhound bus. And then I slept in the Greyhound bus and I literally got to the competition like that day for the meeting about it. It was crazy uh, with the crazy stories. Like I slept on the bus. Anyway, I did it and I didn't do anything very fooling. I just did this uh, script about being a princess at children's parties. The kid messes up the trick at a children's party. And then I find the card anyway. Um, they met with me after and they said, you're really funny. We want to have you on the show. We, we only have like an allotment of like one card trick an episode, literally like that's a thing. And, uh, unless it's something that you've invented and you're like the best in the world at it, they're not going to have you do cards. Like everyone wants to do cards. They're not going to let everyone do cards. Mm -hmm. Uh, so they're like, you know, send us some videos of things you have that aren't cards. So I sent them tons and tons of videos. I already had, um, a trick similar to fool us that I was doing, um, at princess parties where I, where I, uh, alternate, um, not alternate. I have two piles. Um, and I, I won't give away the magic. It's a trick called out of this world. It's a very well-known premise in magic. Um, but you are separating two piles of any, of anything. People usually do it with red and black cards. Um, again, I love making unique scripts. So I had my own cards design that were princesses or princes and frogs. And all of the sides were frogs. And half of them had princes on the other side. So I'd have like little girls at birthday parties, you know, uh, sort through them. Like, which of these do you think will be a prince? And which of these do you think will be a frog? That's important when you're a princess to learn how to separate them, right? With your intuition. You don't want to be kissing a bunch of frogs. Mm. So uh, separated them. So I was, I already had that. And I had a, a trick with lipstick where I was doing something. I don't want to give away my trick. And uh, I was thinking, oh, how can I like use these things I do to be relatable to normal humans? And I thought, oh, well, princes and frogs is literally like I can just make it dating. Like which of these people should I date? Because that's the modern non-princess version of that. Uh, and so I just said that and they were like, oh, we like this. Um, and I it, this all happened January, February, and then we filmed March. So I literally like made this new trick up and uh, pitched it to them without the props with me at all. And I was like, do you like this? Should I build these props? And they're like, yeah, we like that. You should build these props. And so I then just spent one month like doing it everywhere I went. I dropped everything. Everyone I met, I was like, hey, can I show you something? And I just um, hammered it out again, like, like, 
stone trying to turn it into a statue over time, but I condensed the process into a month. I was performing it like three to five times a day for random people on the train. Like, (laughs) and so, um, I, yeah, it's honestly to this day, it's probably like the most preparation I've ever done for anything in my life. And it still shocks me that it it took about a month to do because I auditioned like January 25th and then I recorded it like March 5th. Hmm. So anyway, I'm like, wow, if I just took one month a year to like really bang out a new four minute piece, I would have the best show. Yeah. 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 Well, I, I like all of that. I like all the preparation. So I want to now, you you prepared for a month. You're finally on the show. Talk about that experience. I've heard that, uh, I guess, Penn was maybe your second choice to actually help you out. You you're, you had a, a, a more of a, a draw to, to Allison. So talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I wanted to have Allison help me. Um, partly it was a business decision too, because logistically like her face is more recognizable than pen sorry pen uh but you know after how i met your mother and buffy the vampire slayer and american pie you know even if you don't know allison hannigan's name you're like oh that that i remember her like you know and so having her in my reel would be like wow she's w- working with celebrities look at that you know she looks mm. fancy and expensive i should hire her for my corporate event so i wanted um footage of me doing magic to her um and then also i'm just a big fan of how i met your mother and buffy the vampire slayer i've seen every episode of both so it would have just been really cool to talk to her i ended up getting to talk to her and getting a photo with her after and it was actually really nice i still got to be in some videos with her on camera it was fine um but I think they made a good choice about having Penn be my opposite because he's uh, also really good at improv. And I've never seen her uh, improvise, so I don't know. But um, he was very playful. And I think, uh, you know, in, if you think about it, my trick was not the most woke, right? Like, I'm literally a woman. Look, at, Let's look at photos. Some of them were of women because I'm bi. I'm bisexual, but at the end of the day, 99% of them were male photos. And it's like, Hey, let's look at these people and judge them based on their looks. If a man did that trick, that would be not okay. And I didn't even think about it at the time. Right. But, um, I was just like, Hey, everybody uses online dating. Everybody makes these split second decisions. But you know, if you think about it like that, it's, I'm, I'm probably going to get canceled for it in 10 years. I'm just kidding. Hope not. Fingers crossed. Um, but I think having Penn there with me kind of set it up that that dynamic was that we're both judging the cards. So because if it was just another girl, it's like, hey, come on, girl, let's make fun of these things. But I think I think their choice, I think there was a lot of reasons they made their choice and they make a lot of sense. Um, so, yeah, he was a great partner to do it with. He had a lot of really good jokes on the fly. And I think it balanced out that gender thing. Yeah, no, I, I think so too. And and this is, I guess, the the touchiest question that I have because I definitely don't want you to reveal anything, period. But the thing that I guess when I watch that show that just blows my mind the most is, of course, the magic is awesome. But just afterwards, how all the magicians, you know, Penn and Teller, well, I guess it's only it's only Penn, but talks in these in these codes. Do you guys, do you magicians just have, you know, this unspoken language that y'all understand because they say you know random stuff you know the frog walks at midnight oh yep no he understands my trick he knows exactly what's going on that's what blows my mind what is this 
what is this code? Yeah, so um, it's it's making it a code sounds a lot cooler than it is. It's yeah. really like if you want to look up ma- ma- magic. Sorry, I'm stuttering. If you if you really want to learn how any tricks work, you can Google them, mm-hmm. but you have to know the right name to Google them. And it's not a code. It's literally like you go on these magic websites, and I have friends that do it because they're magicians, and they spend hours looking at the trailers and the videos and the people's reactions and the presentation, and they don't know the secret. They don't reveal the secret in the trailer. You pay for the secret, and there's some things in magic that if you've been around long enough, you just know the secrets to them, whether you perform them or not. Maybe you bought it, you learned how it worked, you fiddled with a script, and then you kind of gave up on it. Like There's thousands of tricks. I know how they work that I thought, oh, that's cool when I saw it. And then I gave up on it. So, um, or also just tricks I know because I wanted to know how they work. And so I paid for it. But, you know, I read the book and I paid for the book or I took the class. So uh, just magic knowledge when you're in it for a long time, it, you you start to know it, you know, oh, um, like different things. I'm not going to give away anything, but like, you know, the Di Vernon wand spin, you know, the Williamson strike vanish, you know, the... Uh, Cy Stebbins principle, like time misdirection, like all these words, you just, they start to become a part of your brain in the way that like, if you like Magic the Gathering, you know, all the different cards in Magic the Gathering, you know? So uh, I'm showing my nerdness. Um, You just, with anything that's a hobby, you learn the language. Like my friend has a seven-year-old that knows every single Pokemon. Mm. You know, (laughs) so it's kind of like that. And then when you get up there, you know, they're trying to guess how you did it. And sometimes they'll say a word you can watch in the video. They'll say something the person doesn't know. And they're like, "Mm, no, that's not how I did it. Or they're like, I literally don't know what you mean. Like, that's not it. Mm. And then they fool them. Right. But you, you know, the history of the thing you're doing and you know what you're doing. So if someone's like, that's this, you're like, yeah, that is that. Like, even if you don't know every single word in the magic language, um, you, you know, when you're called out, you know what I mean? Cause you know, the history right. of it. So right. that's kind of how it works. <laughs> I, I, and that's, that's kind of what I, I thought, you know, my showing my nerdiness when I watch that show and I listen to them, I'm always trying to figure out with all of this misdirection, all the things that they're saying, what they're act, what the part of the code is that they're actually trying to trying to give to the magician. I think I think I've I figured out what the code was that they gave you, but I'm, I I won't I won't try to say it. Talk about obviously that was a really really awesome experience, but talk about some of the other cool experiences you've you've had um, in magic. I know that you know one of them was the. The Magicians Without Borders, which every time I'm saying magician, I keep wanting to say musician. I'm having trouble saying magician, magician, magician without borders. Talk a little bit about that. It's okay. People do that all the time. I'm like, yeah. I'm a magician. And they're like, you're a musician? What's that like? And I'm like, no. Yeah. No, I, I interviewed a, a pianist and I had a awful time with pianist and that, that can get real tricky. So I, at least this one is not so crazy. I can see that as kind of <laughs> weird word, pianist. Um <laughs> Yeah, so I uh, I actually just got back from a trip to Brazil with Magicians Without Borders, and right before Fool Us filming, I was 
in uh, Africa with them. And they are a really amazing nonprofit that does really, really good work. They'll go to homeless shelters, refugee camps, um, you know, addiction clinics, domestic abuse uh, places, children's hospitals, um, and, you know, like the places on the border when they get uh, refugees and people entering America, and then they put them in a cage, they go there. And, you know, sometimes those kids are separated from their families for like, months and months and months, and they do magic and try to bring them joy. um, And, you know, go to these places where there's natural disasters, and people are all holed up in like a small center, and uh, try to just help them with a little bit of magic. And uh, entertainment is so important. Sometimes, you know, when you're in situations like those, uh, the little things that make you feel human, like laughing, or getting to brush your teeth, those can make such a difference, you know. Uh, and so we go to like third world countries or developing countries. I would not say Brazil is a third world country. It's a developing, if that Sao Paulo was like New York. Um, but we went, you know, into like townships outside of Cape town and little villages outside of Sao Paulo villages where, uh, there's, you know, more poor neighborhoods and orphanages and things like that, or homeless, uh, gatherings. And we did magic for the children and the families and, taught the magic too and just seeing like the smiles on their faces and what a change it made in their lives even though we were only there for a short while was amazing one of the shows we did in sao paulo in brazil we did in like a a square near near a very large homeless encampment kind of like Hmm. i wouldn't say it was the occupy movement but it looked like that with all the tents and um as we were leaving and like packing up, there was this little like six-year-old boy just left alone in the square that was just crying because he didn't want us to leave. Mm-hmm. And he didn't have parents around. Maybe he did. And they were like in one of the tents. And to him, that was like his backyard, right? So he was just standing in the middle of the street crying because he didn't want us to go after the show. Mm-hmm. Poor little guy. Um, but it was it's really um, empowering and inspiring, I think, to the kids, too. And um, not to harp too much on being a woman in a male dominated industry. But I do think that the little girls seeing me as the one woman in the show is really inspiring. And um, I always think of, you know, I, I grew up in the Rocky Horror Picture Show and I'm 27. So I feel like I'm right on the cusp of like a Zoomer and a millennial. And I think that the younger generation is evolving beyond treating gender as in such a strict black and white way. Like a lot of my friends under 25 are like, I have no gender, but I like wearing dresses sometimes, you know? Uh, mm-hmm. But so, so that being said uh, that, you know, maybe it's not so much a thing gender. I think it still can be really powerful for a five to seven year old girl to see a girl doing magic. Cause it's like, wow, that person looks like me. And, you know, in theory, seeing anyone do something inspiring should be inspiring. But I do think at the end of the day, um, just on a base level, representation matters. Um, That makes sense. So I I struggle with like, I don't want to be a token too much, but I do think it is important. Right. I think, yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of been the theme in, in some of the other conversations I've had representation matters and how we move past being a, a token, which I don't really like. I don't really like that term, but being a, a token is to have so many more people doing it that, that there's no token status anymore. Everyone, it, it's it's way more equal. So I, I, I think that's important. People being able to see people that look like them, whether it's gender, whether it's race, nationality, um, doing something, it makes them think, hey, I can do that too. So I, I think that's powerful for sure. Um, I want to kind of get into 
you, you obviously that's a really really interesting experience one that i think also is just so different um and it just shows your ability to adapt is obviously during covid you maybe you're doing it before but moving to virtual magic and doing zoom shows that seems i don't know that that seems like a a, a very unique world to be able to capture an audience through a, a video like that so talk a little bit about that world yeah. So uh, during March 2020, as I said, I didn't get unemployment and I started the Patreon, but that was only bringing in like rent and I still wanted to eat food. I'm fancy that way. So uh, I decided to transition into virtual magic. And um, it it was something it was interesting because I didn't really know what it was going to be. But I got invited to do my first virtual magic show end of March. And uh, and I did it. And so I think I was one of the maybe first 50 magicians to do a virtual magic show. I don't want to toot my own horn, um, but it was a thing at a time and it didn't even pay. It was just a lot of magicians at the time were like, let's do magic and bring people joy, you know, because we're stuck at home and none of us thought we could make money off of it. And then like probably um, April, May, it started being requested on my website. Like we want a virtual magic show for our family, for our kids' birthday party because they can't go out for a corporate event, for a happy hour, for a baby shower. Um, and it really took off. And then I was realizing it was like the wild west of magic. Like nobody really knew what they were doing. And so just sitting there and defining what's working and literally just making choices about things and sharing your thought process was huge. So um, I've heard this quote and and I think it's actually from another female magician named Carissa Hendricks, and she took it from something else. But I want to give credit where credit's due. Um, that in order to do well in a field, you should either be unique, like have like a, a hook or something that makes you different, right? Be the first or be the best. So like niche, first or best. And in virtual magic, everyone was like flailing around with their hands up in the air, like, oh fire what do we do no one knows what's going on like where should I do my show can I do it in my kitchen you know and uh just literally I re I I decided like you do I was like yeah I'm gonna teach people how to do virtual magic shows because I did a few of them you know and to great success but the thing is I did a magic contest um and I did it with uh at the time they were like my partner and we were doing magic together and we did it against a black backdrop. It was a virtual magic contest and everyone else was like really wide and not framed in on themselves. Like it was like the camera was across the room and they were doing some weird like stage thing, um, not connecting with the camera at all. Or they had it like, like sideways or they weren't, didn't have a nice backdrop. It was just like in their living room, you know, or just the magic was not appropriate for virtual and, and they hadn't thought about how it looked or anything like, um, and we won, but I feel like we, our magic was strong and it was well thought out. It was nice, but we pretty much won, I think, cause we like made choices about based on the platform instead of just like doing magic at, at the thing as if it was in person. And so winning first place at a virtual magic contest, like the first ever virtual magic contest, um, I was like, Oh wow. Like I'm not an expert, but nobody is. So I might as well be the most not, flailing around person and and help people out you know give them ideas like three-point lighting that stuff and so I started um just teaching people about virtual magic making it kind of my niche I, I changed my whole website to be based around it 
for like those two years. And I had a lot of gigs. And since then, I've done magic, virtual magic for NASA, Amazon, Hewlett Packard. Um, I have a show for Lockheed Martin's like women conference uh, coming up. Um, and just a bunch of like really amazing big companies that I never would have thought I would work for. Um, but I get to do virtual magic for them. And my favorite thing about virtual magic is even though the world's open again, I still do it because a lot of companies are remote. But my favorite thing is that I don't have to drive in LA traffic. I think that's a, that's probably a big thing for sure. Do you, do you enjoy in-person magic better still, or has virtual magic became, I guess the, how, I guess how bad is LA traffic? Do you like virtual magic? better now just because it's so, so bad. I, I feel like just having people in front of you, I feel like would be better, but I don't know. I don't know. I like virtual magic uh, more. Mm. And a lot of magicians are like, no, I like being in person, the energy of the audience. And that's because they're doing it because they want that. That's why they do magic. They do it also for money. Like it's their job. But if that's the, if, if they prefer in person, like a kid's party in person to a corporate event, on a computer, they're doing it because they like that energy. And I like that energy, but I also like money. And uh, most corporate events that I do are virtual. Most in-person parties I do are like strolling and walk around at corporate events. But honestly, um, in person in LA, like the busy season is October, November, December. And the rest of the year, I'm only doing like 10 shows a month, which is not that many compared to like those three months. And so um, most of my corporate work is online. Corporate work pays better. I mean, I'm very like business minded, as you can see with how I, my lens that I look through all my choices I make and all the stuff I do. Um, but I still like in person. One other thing I really love is so I've been doing this for 10 years, right? At kids parties, 90% of my job is going to a space I've never been to before. The parent or person booking me has not bothered to send me a photo or a video. Sometimes they do. I love those people. And literally in the moment, deciding where the show is going to be. Sometimes it's on grass and all the people are on a picnic blanket in front of me. Sometimes they have a whole stage or a gazebo in their mansion. Like it's so random. And every time each variable is different. Sometimes there's stairs and I have to carry a bunch of heavy stuff upstairs. It's different every single time. And it's, and those little things are what's stressful about in-person magic. Once I'm there and everything's set up and I'm performing, it's the same to me as virtual. I love it. It's happy. I'm making people smile, but mm. there's so many variables outside of my control and the driving and it's stressful. What I love about virtual is I can deliver the same consistent product to my mm. clients every single time I control every single second of it. I even have like a pre-show video they watch with like jokes and me doing magic and they can see me on TV. So they get hyped up and they're like, oh, we're seeing a girl that was on TV. Um, and I just love that. I also love that I can like go to the bathroom in between my shows in my house. How cool is that? That's so decadent. You know, uh, the show I was at yesterday, the woman made me park on the street. It was like a giant mansion with a gate and their driveway up to their house was like 20 feet or 30 feet long. Um, you couldn't see the end of it from the house. And she, and I had no idea. I'd never been there. She like emailed me like, okay, um, park on the street and then just walk up. But she booked an illusion show, which is like four trips to my car with heavy 80 pound stuff. Mm. So I got there. I couldn't find parking. And then finally one of her help people helped people. That sounds like a fifties phrase. Um, like her, not, I would say like lawn 
like gardener let me go through the gate and he was like yeah you can just come in if you can't find parking and I saw the giant driveway that was like a mile long and I was like this woman I thought in my head I was like this woman was gonna make me what was like and there was so much parking and there was like 10 other cars because it was like it was like a mansion, you know, with a fountain and like the turnaround at the fountain. I was like, what she was, I felt so like, um, othered, like, Oh, the help mm. box on the street. Uh, mm. and I don't know if that's how she meant for it, but it just blew my mind. So like little things like that. Finally, I parked there. It was fine. Um, it still took time to unload my car four times, but it was not as crazy as, uh, as, as parking on the street and having to walk up like a 20, 30 foot, uphill driveway just uh so things like that i don't have to deal with those when it's virtual ever and i love that about it (laughs) that's that's understandable i i i could see why that would be a lot more appealing to to be able to be in your house rather than than that so i i get that i want you to now talk about i guess thanks for the free therapy by the way (laughs) yeah another another business venture that you have and that's these magic kits talk about those what's that all about yeah, so I designed my own magic kits. Um, I noticed that there aren't really many uh, magic kits targeted towards little girls. Mm-hmm. A lot of the reason that I didn't learn magic is no one ever bought me a magic kit. I was obsessed with witches, witchcraft, vampires, werewolves. You know, I would read myth books about those things, and I I loved that. I would pretend to be a witch all the time. I was a witch for halloweens in a row and nobody thought let's get her a magic kit you know and i think that really stems from again people being like oh girls don't do magic they're assistants which is very an old thing it's not as much of a thing anymore but i think it's still in the subconscious of people's minds like i didn't get a magic kit i know so many women um that are magicians that are amazing and a lot of them didn't start until teens or later, like as adults, most of them started as adults. And that's because they're just, nobody thinks, let me get a magic kit for my daughter. Um, They're not even, they're not sexist. They just don't think about that. I don't know. And uh, now I think that's really changing, but I looked on the market and there's really not that many magic kits that even have a woman on it. I mean, I'm not trying to like say magic for girls. We do magic with lipstick and cooking pans and being bad at dry like i don't know like it's like here's stuff women do like it's not that it's the, exactly the same <laughs> as the boy stuff but it has a woman on it which i think you know again representation matters and it's silly but it really does and i i hope that having my magic kits you know they're just like a normal magic kit but with a lady on them uh you know makes people go oh maybe i was gonna get this for my son but maybe i should also get it for my daughter you know that mm-hmm. kind of thing um, and just changes perspective a little bit. Um, it's And it's not even, I would say, as much of a battle anymore as it maybe was when I was a kid. Uh, but it's important. Representation matters. So I'm happy to have these kits. You can go on magicalkits.com mm. and you can buy them. And uh, you help support a female-owned business and a small business. Um, so go do that. But yeah, it's great. It's great for the boy or girl in your life. I love it. And we can, we can put the link to to that in the show notes. I want to kind of wrap things up and just asking, what do you hope the future holds? Obviously we never know. Do you hope the future holds that you're going to just transition into being the first completely virtual magician? Um, what, what do you hope the future holds for, for Magical Katrina? 
I still love doing in-person shows. So I love doing weddings and corporate events. Um, I've been flown to conferences a lot lately, like all over the world and doing like team building workshops. So I would love to do more flying and traveling for magic um, and more virtual magic. Uh, My goal would be to have my job not have anything to do with where I live. Mm -hmm. uh, If that makes sense, then I could live anywhere and I just get flown to things or do virtual magic. That's the dream in the next 10 years. Um, you know, maybe have an empire, passive income, all that good stuff. Um, I always thought I'd want to show in Vegas, but Mm. Vegas is so dry and there's not a lot there. And I love swing dancing and there's only one night in a week to swing dance. So Mm. I don't, I don't think I could actually live in Vegas. I think I'm, I'm okay with not being that well known and just flying around doing corporate magic and weddings and being happy and traveling. You know, I know you travel a lot, so you get that. I just want to be able to travel and not be tied down to anything. Um, I love that. It is because I don't, obviously I don't really know that much about what the, I guess the stereotypical aspiration is for a, a magician. Is it to have a show in Vegas? Of course we all know about the magic shows in Vegas, not that much other places that we know about is that kind of the the stereotype that people want a, a Vegas show? I think so. It's like their Broadway. Yeah, I hear you. So now I want in asking you the last question. This is your opportunity to kind of uh, shout out ways that people can connect with you. They've listened to this. Maybe they're interested in booking a virtual show. Maybe they just want to see more about you. Talk about uh, where people can find Magical Katrina. Yeah, so my website, MagicalKatrina.com, and then social media at MagicalKatrinaOfficial on Instagram. Um, And then just if you type in MagicalKatrina, M-A-G-I-C-A-L, and then Katrina with a K, K K-A-T-R-I-N-A, different things will come up. I'm the most followed thing usually on each platform, so... Um, sometimes because Katrina Kaif is a very well-known pretty Bollywood actress and her name's Katrina Kay, and people literally will make magical Katrina profiles of her because they're like oh she's so magical she's like billions of fans mm. she's like huge there so sometimes she comes up but just look up magical Katrina if you're in America I should come up first <laughs> I like it well it's been a pleasure speaking with you I really appreciate your time yay thank you so much for having me so that was Magical Katrina. Learned so much. Really appreciated her time. I, uh, yeah, I, I know nothing about magic. Like I was telling her, you know, I love watching Pin and Taylor fool us. I love seeing, you know, these huge legendary magicians. Even, even they sometimes get fooled when it comes to new magic tricks. So it's definitely a, a field that is ever growing, and new things are always coming out. I think it's, it's so cool. And I think, you know, like I was, like I, I was saying that. Uh, yeah, these codes that they talk in, I, I I have no idea anything about them. The person that I'm having on in a you know in about a month about uh, about this, she she didn't either. So uh, I I love that Katrina did uh, did know a little bit more. It comes with a little bit more experience in magic, I think. But uh, yeah, this is a fun conversation. If you do want to check her out, uh, her Zoom shows, you want to check out uh, her Patreon, you want to check out. Uh, her Instagram, her website, all that. It's going to be in the show notes. Uh, do click on that. I'm sure she would, uh, she'd love to have you on as a, uh, as a friend and uh, as somebody who follows along to, uh, to her magic. So 
check those out. If this is your first time listening, appreciate you. If this uh, is not your first time, you're a long time listener, and you haven't already, go subscribe to us um, on on Apple. Follow us on Spotify. Leave that five star review on both. Leave a written review on Apple. Really amazing if you do. Uh, we are on Instagram that you can follow. Not in the Huff podcast. JacksonHuff.com. Not in the Huff with Jackson Huff on Facebook. Everywhere there. Appreciate your support. Uh, but if you do nothing else, come back next week. Another amazing guest to, uh, to join us. So we'll catch you then. Take it away, Chris. This has been Not in a Huff with Jackson Huff. Thank you for listening. Be sure to join us next time where we will interview another amazing guest who is sure to make you laugh or make you think or, hey, maybe even both. But until then, keep being awesome.